One morning in 1938, in his small apartment on St. Paul Street in Baltimore, Whitaker was casually feeding his young daughter Ellen breakfast. He contemplatively absorbed this everyday and seemingly ordinary experience as it appeared to stand in direct contrast to everything about him. Just the fact that Whitaker and his wife Esther had a daughter was an unforeseen and unplanned blessing. Even sex itself was held to be merely functional and of little importance except that it might help or harm the party. Active communists generally saw children as a burden which only slowed their participation in the party. Even more so for an underground agent in the Soviet military intelligence. Irregardless from his own desires, no matter how suppressed they might have been, the 37-year-old Russian spy had many reasons to not have children. From nearly all viewpoints, Whitaker had not lived a desirable life. From his clinically insane grandmother, absent and drunk father, to his emotionally dependent mother and suicidal brother, Whitaker came to the conclusion that having his own children would be to repeat his misery, a crime against life. He had no selfish right to perpetuate such hardship. Besides, he questioned, what right had any man and woman to bring children into the 20th century world only to suffer its inevitable revolutions or die in its inevitable wars? The answer in his mind was none. That's why abortion was commonplace for communists. There were communist doctors who rendered that service for a small fee, and communists who were more choosy new liberal doctors who would render the same service for a larger fee. Abortion, which now filled Whitaker with physical horror, was once regarded by him, like all communists, as a mere physical manipulation but even though Whitaker's mind was resentfully determined to remain childless, his soul was not. When he heard those words for the first time two years before Esther had conceived, he was first filled with a shock of wild joy and fatherly pride. By this time, his father Jay had died and his brother Richard had long ago taken his own life. If Whitaker was to remain without a child, the bloodline would stop with him. This only increased his inward desire to have children. Yet, because it was assumed that he and his wife would dutifully adhere to the party rule, even though it was unspoken, it was a passing joy, only to be succeeded by a momentary sadness. But the paternal instincts were too strong to deny in both Whitaker and Esther. They both simply wanted to have the child, and nothing would stop them. Not reason, the agony of his own upbringing, the Communist Party and its theories, nor wars, nor revolutions of the current time. All these stout walls of materialism and communist ideology crumbled with the gentle touch of a child. And so, Two years later, Whitaker found himself caught between two opposing worlds. 
He was a spy for the Russian Communist Party working to overthrow capitalism and the Christian worldview through espionage activities among high-ranking United States government office holders. While also being a man who really only wanted to live on the farm and work the land, be a husband to a wife he loved, and a father mundanely feeding his beautiful daughter on unremarkable mornings. Despite the danger and adventure in the former, the latter brought Whitaker more peace and joy. He felt like an average man and a normal father as he watched his daughter drop porridge on the floor and rub it on her face as she tried to find her mouth. So bad was her aim that bits of breakfast were even found on her ear. And it was then that her father's eyes stopped. He gazed at her ear, more specifically on the small convolutions of her ear, those intricate, perfect ears. Those ears were not made by chance or by atoms naturally coming together, the communistic view. They could have only been created by immense design. All Whitaker could think was God. He tried for a second to crowd the unwanted thought out of his mind, for if he had completed it, he would have to admit that design presupposes God. And for a communist where the denial of God and the exaltation of man is the aim, such thoughts were secular anathema. While he might not have known it at the time, the finger of God was first laid upon his forehead. In this surreal moment, certain thoughts from Whitaker's childhood resurrected in his mind. Anything he knew of God or religion wasn't a result of Christian upbringing nor of education. He knew it as a result of something he had heard by chance or something that had happened to him and that touched something that was already in him. There were a few moments in his childhood that he believed declared the invisible attributes of God. Even as a child, he knew there was something divine in these rare experiences. One occurred early in his childhood. Whitaker had wandered off into the Roman fields from where he lived as a boy. After some time, he found himself facing a nearly impenetrable four-foot-tall wall of thistles in full bloom. Wanting to keep moving, he pushed his way through with his back on the ground, weaving like a worm between the thick stems. After a while of pushing, he stood up in the midst of the field. It was painted purple for as far as his eye could see from the endless flowering thistles. Clinging to the flowers, hovering over them or twittering and dipping in flight were dozens of gold finches, little golden yellow birds with black contrasting wings and caps. They didn't pay the slightest attention to the young boy. It was as if they had never seen one before. The sight was so unexpected and the beauty so absolute that young Whitaker thought he could not stand without grabbing a stem for support. Out loud he said, God. It was a simple statement, not an exclamation. And at that moment, which he remembered through all the years of his life as one of its highest moments, he was closer than he would ever be again in nearly 40 years to the intuition that alone could give meaning to his life. The intuition that God 
and beauty are one. The dropping of his daughter's utensil on the ground awoke Whitaker from his meditation. He squinted his eyes to break the vacant look still fixed on little Ellen's ear. The sunlight had begun to fall softly upon the table at which they sat as Esther came in to relieve her husband. Whitaker stood up and began to get ready for another day's work in the fourth section of the Russian intelligence apparatus. Yet, as he shaved and got dressed, he couldn't shake the notion that it was God whispering in his ear as he stared in awe of his daughters. He collected his documents and placed them on top of the revolver that he kept inside his briefcase. As he gathered everything he needed for the day, he kissed his wife and daughter goodbye and closed the door behind him. He walked into the rising sun, but away from the world which he held dear. Whitaker knew that what had transpired while gazing at his daughter's ear was something to behold. He wanted to leave the party, but knew that there would be serious repercussions if he did. As one colleague told him that if one ever decided to break from the underground, they'd either be terminated by them or by us. This wasn't surprising to Whitaker. He had assumed this from the beginning of his service to the party. And yet, as he walked down the sidewalk, he felt like Lazarus, that he had begun the impossible return from the underground where he had been buried deep for six years, back into the world of freemen. As Whitaker would later observe, a communist breaks because he must choose at last between irreconcilable opposites, God or man, soul or mind, freedom or communism. God was drawing Whitaker's soul towards him, towards beauty and towards freedom. As these thoughts became more alive and began to take root within his soul, he reached the predetermined park bench. Starting to feel more alive than ever, Whitaker sat down and waited for the drop-off. Under his breath, he continued to repeat four words taken from an Epson play. When we dead awaken. When we dead awaken. When we dead awaken. So there's a few reasons I wanted to share the story of Whitaker Chambers with you. He is one of my favorite historical figures. He was born in 1901 and died in 1961. And you just need to read his autobiography uh, called Witness. I believe it was published in 1952. He is a great writer. He understands languages and he was a translator. But his life is what is most captivating. In his autobiography, he accounts his life from the very beginning until the end of the Hiss court case, which is why he wrote the book to explain, to give witness about his, um, his dealings with communism. So he explains how he became a communist, what he did, and how he drew closer to God while defecting from the Soviet underground. And because he testified, he became a witness and he shed a much needed light on the pervasiveness that communism had on our government. President Ronald Reagan awarded him the Presidential Medal of Freedom posthumously in 1984. So we just need to, I think 
you would be blessed to uh, to read his works, but mainly his autobiography entitled Witness. Secondly, I want to share this with you because this is a timely episode, even though I didn't plan it to be. Communism is not dead. And in fact, it's more relevant uh, than ever now. The protesting across the nation, accompanied by riots and looting, um, American history is being erased as statues are coming down almost every night. Um, And while this is a culmination of many players and many actors with various motives, the core of the movement that we are witnessing in America has its deepest roots in the political ideology of communism. When asked about the movement's political persuasion in 2015, the co-founder of Black Lives Matter's Patrice Kohler's replied, we actually do have an ideological frame. We are trained Marxist. That was her, her quote. And since then, she has openly shared her devotion to Marxism. So if someone was scratching their head wondering, what does Black Lives Matter have to do with Marxist communism? They shouldn't now. All, all this to say is that we need to be aware that there's a direct correlation from the chaos that we are seeing today and the collaborated effort of communistic influence in every sector of American life from a hundred years ago. When Whitaker was alive, it was underground. Now it's nearly all out in the open. But as we look into the life of Whitaker and his work in the communist underground, it would be negligent or, or deceitful, more accurately, to not connect the work of communists from years past to the current events of our time, which are unarguably historic in every way. And lastly, what I really wanted to highlight from this short snippet of Whitaker's life is that we get a better understanding of how God reveals himself to us. And we know that God speaks to us through his son, Jesus, through his Holy Spirit and through his written word. But how does God reveal himself to those of us that have not grown up in the church or in a home with a Bible or in a home with parents that love us? In Whitaker, we have this boy with no religious upbringing. He came from a severely dysfunctional family. Uh, His younger brother, Richard, was the person he was closest to. He committed suicide at the age of 22. All of these hurts and depressions, both mental and the coming economical depression that was about to spread across the states, led him to become a Marxist soon after his time in college. And after joining the Communist Party, his ability in the languages and talent to translate and to write led him to take the next step down the dark rabbit hole of communism as he began working as a spy for the Russians. And it was in all of this darkness, men who hide their deeds do so in dark, but it was in all of this darkness on all these levels, politically, personally, emotionally, practically, that the light of God began to break through. And God broke through by the beauty of his creation. So for time's sake, we're only considering two instances in Whitaker's life, even though there was many more that he wrote about. Uh, but the first one was when Whitaker was in the 
blooming fields of flowers surrounded by birds dancing in the sky. The thought that overwhelmed him was not natural selection, nor was it random chance or a biogenesis. Biogenesis is the belief that life arose from non-living matter. But the thought that overwhelmed him was God. And while Whitaker didn't cognitively know the truth of the scriptures that say the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork in Psalm 19, he intuitively knew it and he made the connection that many grown adults still fail to make today, the intuition that God and beauty were one. This was the same notion that Thomas Aquinas believed and wrote about in the 11th century. And he pretty much wrote that God is beauty itself. Whitaker sensed this truth without opening the scriptures, without opening the Bible. And yet God was speaking through the beauty of his creation. And also note that this is the fallen world. And yet it's, it's still so beautiful that God can speak through Uh, this fallen world that we live in. And you might think, well, this is kind of an anomaly, this experience that happened to to young Whitaker, but it's not. It's actually quite natural, and it's actually, it's what is supposed to happen. See, in the book of Romans, the Bible says that God's, quote, invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So let's get this right. The invisible attributes of God, justice, mercy, love, um, creation, um, all these things, the invisible attributes of God are seen not only with the eyes, but they are perceived with the heart and the mind. So much so that those who see and perceive them cannot deny God without first denying their own conscience. And if God reveals himself through the beauty of nature, stars, galaxies, the the human cell, birds and trees and waterfalls, if he reveals himself through those things, then it would only make sense that he would reveal himself or more of himself through the pinnacle and masterwork of his creation. That's the person. That's the human being. That's me and that's you. And we know that that we are the pinnacle of God's creation. In Genesis, after he created everything, the stars, the galaxies, the, the, the water, the land, the animals, it was all good. But it was only after he created man and woman that it became very good. We are actually God's poem. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says that we are the handiwork created in Christ Jesus. The handiwork is the word poema. It's where we get the word poem. We are God's master work. Whitaker knew this. And as he looked back on his life when he wrote his autobiography witness, I don't think he was using hyperbole when saying that the thought of abortion filled him with physical horror because he knew that all people were created in the image of God by God. He was convinced in what we now call the sanctity of life. 
The second experience that our short story covers was when Whitaker was a new father and he was feeding his daughter and he noticed the intricacies of her tiny ear and he was in awe. But again, he didn't think Darwinianism or his mind wasn't filled with the thought of random mutations. Again, he was overwhelmed by the notion of the power and good creation of God. God was continuing to speak and Whitaker was making the connection that God is a creator and he creates works of beauty. Without hearing it from the pulpit, Whitaker personalized the truth of Psalm 139, which says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. Wonderful. I know that full well. All the verses that we've read today about God revealing himself to us through his creation is called natural revelation. And it is revelation, but it isn't complete. Um, It should point us to more revelation. It should point us to scriptures. It should point us ultimately to the complete revelation of God, which is found only in the person of Jesus. And Whitaker obeyed the conviction of God's spirit, and he pursued the natural revelation of God to its fulfilled intent. He, he followed that to the person of Jesus. And may we all see God's natural revelations and be drawn closer to God. May we also pray for others who weren't born with their religious upbringing, that God would still be speaking to them and drawing them closer to him. With Whitaker, it was the conviction of God's spirit combined with the revelatory nature of his creation that led him out of darkness and into the light. This led Whitaker to the hope of his own resurrection as he ruminated in his head when we dead awaken. Please pray this prayer with me. Uh, Father, thank you for being a good and merciful God. Thank you for the works of your hands. No matter where we find ourselves today, uh, whether we are at home with the kids or at work behind a desk or we're on the field farming or whatever we do in whatever place we are in, help us to see you in your creation. Help us to worship the creator and not the creation. Give us eyes to see and a heart to perceive that we would be quick to give you praise. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. I hope you found this podcast to be engaging, encouraging, and enlightening. If you did, please leave a review and rate it as that puts the podcast out to more people. And if you know someone who would benefit from this episode or podcast, please tell them about it or share it with them through our website, salvationstuff.com. Thanks again. I love and appreciate you all. See you next time.